Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Veterans ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. There are nearly 20 million military vets in the U.S. And each week, we focus on their stories. This is CBS Eye on Veterans. Welcome to CBS Eye on Veterans. I'm Navy veteran Phil Briggs. Now there's other stories that are trending on ConnectingVets.com and they're coming to us from police reports around the country and here to discuss them is our own investigative reporter, former Ranger and Special Forces veteran Jack Murphy. Welcome to Eye on Veterans with the Crime Files. Hey man, thanks for having me back. Let's lead off with this one. A story that you've covered over the last couple years, but uh, you broke about the killing of a Delta force operator and an army veteran, which occurred back in 2020. And uh, the story really appears to be the tale of drugs, a drug culture at Fort Bragg trafficking, and even some sort of obstruction and members of law enforcement. So uh, let's set the stage here for this story. Back in 2020, there was a Delta force operator and another army veteran found dead near or on what was formerly Fort Bragg. And let's start there and then take me to the events of this week. Yeah. So it was in 2020. It was a active duty soldier, a uh, guy who had served as a Delta Force operator named William Levine, or he went by Billy, Billy Levine, uh, and an army veteran, a guy who, um, as I recall, he was in logistics and um, was an army veteran. He had gotten out of the military and his name was Timothy Dumas. And they were both found shot to death on a training site, you know, kind of out in the wood, wood line at uh, Fort Bragg, now called Fort Liberty. Uh, and they, they were both murdered uh, and it's turned into an FBI investigation. They got involved at a certain point, CID obviously involved. And it was became a big mystery um, as to what had happened to these two guys. 
And I dug into it quite a bit. And so have other journalists. Um, you know, Billy has a pretty checkered past, uh, run-ins with the law, um, on drug related charges. Um, maybe the big one is, um, several years prior to his murder, Billy had actually shot and killed his best friend, who was a Green Beret named Mark Leshikar. Uh, the circumstances around that killing are hazy. The details that, uh, that Billy provided to the law enforcement make no sense whatsoever. Um, but he claimed that he shot and killed Mark in self-defense. Um, a police sergeant wrote up like a one-page report saying, yes, it's all true. And uh, he was never charged or brought to trial or anything, um, even though they never found, you know, Billy said that Mark came at him with a screwdriver. But when they flipped his body, there's never a screwdriver found on the premises. Um, there were bullet fragments under the carpet. So Billy had shot at Mark while he was laying on the ground. Um, there's a lot of inconsistencies there, but nothing ever came of that case. Um, and then a few years later, Billy himself is found dead um, right there on, on Fort Bragg. Um, now, th- there is a lot of speculation about this case, of course, uh, about what may or may not have happened. Um, a lot of people figured and, and thought we'll never really get to the bottom of it. We'll never find out what actually happened. But just this last week, uh, the uh, U.S. Uh, attorney, uh, U.S. attorney's office announced the arrest of Kenneth Maurice Quick Jr., who uh, is a young man who uh, has also a, a, a track record, uh, was arrested once um, in the shooting death of, of one person, arrested when he was 16 years old uh, for shooting and injuring a number of other minors. Um, when they announced that this guy was being indicted for uh, the shooting deaths of two people on Fort Bragg, um, they their names were not given in the press release. But, you know, December 2020, I mean, it's pretty obvious who they're talking about. Um, and they didn't have to go and arrest uh, Maurice or uh, track him down or anything like that. They uh, this this guy was already serving 57 months. Um, you know, police had pulled him over for speeding and he threw drug para- paraphernalia, drugs and a firearm out of his car as he was driving away. The police, of course, caught up with him and arrested him. So he's sitting in prison now on a separate conviction, an unrelated conviction. And now he's being indicted for these two murders. And the obstruction charge comes for um, from, as I understand it, trying to um, conceal or hide one of the bodies. Um, that's probably what 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 he was out there on the training site to do. It also dovetails into another story that involves trips to Mexico, um, appliances, drug smuggling, and believe it or not, selling sneakers on eBay. So how does it jump from Quick, who they find in jail already? How does it jump from there to a law enforcement official and trips to Mexico? Well, that's a good question. And some of the connections aren't quite clear as of yet. Um, but I'll try to outline as far as what I've been able to uncover. Um, some of this information is publicly available in, in, in indictments and law enforcement reports and news articles. Um, I've also spoken to sources in law enforcement down in North Carolina who told me a bit about it. So the Army veteran who was found working, uh, who was found uh, murdered alongside Billy Levine, uh, Tim Dumas. So Tim Dumas uh, was quite close to a former police officer named Freddie Huff. 
And uh, Freddie Huff was a highway patrolman in North Carolina, actually um, had a, a pretty good reputation for interdicting drugs and drug trafficking. And he ended up getting fired from his job. Uh, officially, he was fired because he sold a pair of state issued sneakers on eBay. Uh, I've been told there may be a bit more to that story, like he maybe gave a local politician a DWI and, and it blew back on him. So that's not totally clear, but he did get fired from his job. He lost his law enforcement job, and he then started a legitimate business, a completely legitimate import-export business, at least initially, um, importing, or, or I should say, I guess, exporting washer-dryers from the United States to Mexico. So he would drive down to Mexico with these on a, on a flatbed or something like this and sell them. Now, the laws of economics sort of stipulate it doesn't really make sense to go down there with a full load, sell your product, and then drive all the way back with an empty load. It makes more sense to, while you're down there, pick up a product in Mexico and then bring it back to the United States and sell it. So you're making money both ways, right? That's the nature of import-export. So Freddie, as I've been, as it's been explained to me, since he has... Uh, a lot of experience in interdicting drugs and knowing how uh, drug sniffing canines work and all of that sort of stuff. He uses his inside knowledge to start sm smuggling drugs from Mexico to the United States. And uh, I was told that he had an entire ritual in place. Like he would like get buck naked in the hotel room, rub down all the drugs with ammonia. Uh, he would, you know, bundle them back up. And then when he was in, uh, when he'd be driving in the car, driving back into the, into the United States, he'd have open bottles of ammonia, like positioned around his car. Cause it would like burn out the drug sniffing, the drug dog's nose. So he started this smuggling business, uh, linked up with Tim Dumas back in North Carolina. And so Dumas was part of like, we could kind of colloquially, some people have called it the black mafia, um, that he was involved in, in drug distribution in North Carolina alongside other African Americans. But to be clear, I mean, there are also Hispanics and, and obviously white people like Freddie involved. So it is, it is a freewheeling capitalist, uh, world here that, that, that these people work in. Um, Freddie and not, not Dumas, but somebody who was close to Dumas, very close. Somebody that I've been told is like a godson to Dumas. Um, they actually posed as law enforcement officials and they raided a rival's trap house. They had like a stash house somewhere and they raided it, um, in order to intimidate the people there. There's like a whole family living there. Uh, and they, uh, and they did it to intimidate a rival gang, a rival drug gang, as it was explained to me. When they did that, they, they came in, you know, dressed up like police yelling and everything. And they put everyone in flex cuffs. And one of the old women in the house actually started to have a legitimate health issue, like a heart attack or something like this. And so they called EMS because they, they, they were not there to commit murder. That's absolutely not what they were there for. And so when this woman starts having a legitimate health issue, uh, they call, uh, EMS. EMS shows up just as they're pulling out and they're like, oh, yeah, we're uh, U.S. Marshals or something like this. And then they jump in their car and drive off. And EMS is like, something doesn't seem right about that. They, they just disappear. So they call the police and the police start investigating. And they find out these were two people posing as law enforcement officers. And when they raided Freddie's home, they found a mountain of drugs and cash. Um, so Freddie is in prison right now, um, convicted for that. And then Dumas, of course, you know, later on shows up, you know, he's found dead on a training site with Billy Levine. But 
What is the connection between Billy Levine and Tim Dumas? We don't really know, or at least I don't really know. Tim, you know, worked on Fort Bragg and is was reported to have connections on Fort Bragg and was probably involved in distributing drugs to soldiers. I mean, that's not a huge assumption to make. Um, I couldn't prove it, but I, I, I mean, I think it would be fair to say that that's a possibility, right? And maybe that's the connection to Billy Levine. But at, at this time, I don't think it's totally clear what the connection between those two are or or, or is or was. And then what's the connection between Kenneth Maurice Quick and Billy Levine and Tim Dumas? Again, I think we can safely say that uh, Quick was involved in drug distribution in North Carolina. Um, and that may have been how that may, that may have been the commonality between them, but exactly what the connection was. Were they rivals? Were they part of the same network? Did one of them feel that they'd been ripped off by the other? Um, these are these are unanswered questions that hopefully will will come out in a trial. So much to unpack. Who knew that? Uh, yeah, who knew that it would come to all this after the you know after the first reporting of the murders there at Fort Bragg? I know you got the stomach for it, and uh, you'll definitely keep us posted as this story evolves. One more story from this week's Crime Files. Well-known SEAL Rob O'Neill, who's been a guest on this show multiple times. We've covered his book, The Way Forward, had several interviews with him about uh, all kinds of inspiring life advice that he's cared to share. He's probably best known as the trigger man of Osama bin Laden during the raid where we were you know, able to uh, take out the mastermind behind 9-11 and the leader of the deadly terrorist organization Al-Qaeda. Since then, he's gone on to make news this last week after having been arrested uh, in the Dallas area. Share with me a little bit about what we've learned about that arrest and, uh, you know, what's going on there. Well, I mean, I can only say what uh, I've read in, in other media reports, but apparently he was out there to do a podcast and afterwards um, became intoxicated at the hotel bar and, you know, fell asleep at the bar this was reported in the um, Dallas Morning News um, that a security guard who worked there uh, went and um, tried to police him up and bring him back to his hotel room. They offered him a wheelchair to wheel him back to his hotel room. Rob O'Neill allegedly uh, dropped a racial slur on this security officer. Uh, and they got up to the hotel room and I guess Rob like open palm slapped him in the chest um, there's a, a, a bunch of different allegations that have been made in this article. But yeah, long story short, yeah, Rob O'Neill's in trouble with Johnny Law again. One of the interesting details I found from the Dallas Morning News article was that uh, he was trying to open his door with a credit card, is what they said. When the incident went down, the gentleman's helping him. We don't know. In the hallway. As one does, Phil. As one does. <laughs> who hasn't mistaken their hotel room? But, key but he who is without sin cast the first stone. But, but yeah, I mean, call using racial slurs on, on a poor security guard who's just trying to help you is uh, not cool. Yeah. If there's a moral to this story, I think the first one we should take is uh, don't fall asleep in the bar. Um, you know, you, you're better than that. And uh, don't put yourself in harm's way like that. Do not, not risk. Ideal. Not yeah, ideal, do, folks. It should be noted that on Twitter, social media postings, uh, Rob O'Neill has denied 
using a racial slur and uh, yes. it's not been available for further comment. And uh, we'll reach out to Rob O'Neill, see if he wants to guest on the show. But uh, again, sad story, but uh, it is the real world. And that's what we always get from you, Jack, the real world <laughs> and uh, a, a deep, dark look into, you know, some of the situations that are uh, hard to see, but uh, you always shine the light in the dark places. Seal drama, my favorite drama. Yeah, I was going to say now you don't hold any personal issue with reporting these because I know you're a proud Special Forces veteran, former (laughs) Green Beret. Before that, you were a Ranger. I could never get you to say that SEALs are the most elite branch of special operations. (laughs) They're trying, man. They're trying to go back into uh, back into the shadows, so to speak. But it's hard once the genie's out of the bottle. It's tough to do. Not directly tied to the Rob O'Neill story or even the story we heard before uh, about the murders in North Carolina. But as you've covered this for years, let's end here. We've seen increasing reports of situations with special operations community, drugs, and there seems to be a consistent thread of problems uh, with substance abuse and with drugs. Do you find that that continues this year and that that's kind of an ongoing thing that we seem to play whack-a-mole with with the headlines but does not speak to a a bigger darker issue that you may have seen from your brothers in the special operations community it's an ongoing issue i mean part of it of course is you're going to have young entry-level soldiers who like to drink and hey didn't we all you know (laughs) again but he who is without sin (laughs) cast the first stone um, but I mean, there is a larger story to tell there as well. I mean, I, I think part of the lesson is, I mean, you can't fight, you know, unmitigated war for 20 years and think there aren't going to be any, you know, social consequences of that, that there isn't going to be any fallout for the veterans and for the soldiers who are still serving the guys that were uh, over in Kabul International Airport, you know, just like two years ago, um, evacuating all those people, the things that they saw. We still have guys in Syria and, and Iraq. Um, there's, there's fallout for, from all of that, you know, um, there, and yeah, there's a, there's a mental health aspect and that leads to substance abuse. And, um, yeah, it's not something that as a country we've been very good at addressing, is it? It certainly doesn't seem so. What is it about the drugs or what is it about the pension for over drinking or using drugs that really connects to somebody with combat experience in their life does is it that they've come from a high tempo high octane lifestyle jumping out of planes kicking in doors being around blasts i mean is it that they are reaching do you think for something to sort of i don't know hang on to to give them that same adrenaline high that they got from their career i mean what would explain the connection between drugs and then the special operations community who are arguably the most elite in our military i I mean i think there's a a lot that goes into that i mean you're partly right at least and i mean a some like a clinical psychologist could give a much better answer than i am because i imagine people gravitate towards different substances for different reasons you know like the opiates you know probably just numb you i I mean i I don't have any experience with them so again I, i have a hard time um, placing myself in those shoes. But I mean, I have to think that in, in a lot of cases, it's, you know, the alcohol or the pills or whatever, you're just used to numb some of the the pain that these guys are in, both mentally and physical. Um, and, you know, that can get out of hand really quickly. Have you seen within the special operations community, you know, within your fellow vets there, have you seen other 
veterans go down a dark road, whether it be, you know, with drugs, alcohol or or, oh, or oh even God, inciting yeah. violence on social media? I mean, do you see this as a pervasive issue with even guys your age? I mean, I see it as an issue. I don't want to make it sound like it's um, the majority of the force or anything like that, but it is a pervasive issue that needs to be addressed, you know, Um, and I'll I'll lay a little factoid on you. I mean, I have a a good friend who is just retiring from special forces, a guy that I know personally, and he called me up while I was out having uh, having a hamburger with my daughter this this week. And he's uh, he's like, hey, man, I'm retiring. He's like, can you get me over to Ukraine? He's like, I want to go and do what I do, go and do what I'm good at. And he wants to roll right over there and get back in and get back into the fight. And, you know, it's exactly what you were alluding to there is, you know, wanting to keep that high state of adrenaline up. And I I told him, I was like, look, yeah, I can probably point you towards some people, but there's going to come a time in life where you can't be a soldier anymore and you need to figure out what you want to do with the whole rest of your life. And in the process of figuring that out, you probably shouldn't throw your life away, you know, in some foreign war zone. I mean, just think about that carefully, you know. Definitely deep and fascinating. Thank you so much for your perspective on all that. Jack Murphy, you can read more by Jack Murphy at ConnectingVets.com. And uh, just appreciate you again, shining a light in some dark places and reporting some stories that, uh, you know, hard to look at, but uh, necessary to hear. Always appreciate you being on the show, brother. Thank you, Phil. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Veterans ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at Wondery.com survey. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary and it's not boring. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. I'm going to be your financial coach, someone who brings common sense and an insider's perspective on how to manage your money and your emotions. And I promise we are going to have a little bit of fun along the way. Have a question from retirement to career changes to college funding? Just send us an email at askjill at jillonmoney.com. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app.